Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So I was chatting to a couple of friends and uh, they said to me that they, uh, friends up at Hillsong, they said to me that they had decided to travel up to Hillsong uh, by car. And they travelled up with their family. And they have a number of young kids. And I thought, well, I don't know why anybody would want to punish themselves with a nine-hour trip to uh, Sydney. But, but sometimes people decide to do those things. And if you've ever taken a trip with kids in the car, the, answer, the, the, the question, the answer is not there yet. The question is, when are we going to get there? And it's because that's what they ask. And I was thinking about this. I said to him, I said, why just punish yourself on the way up to such a great uh, adventure, you know, up to Hillsong there? And, uh, you know, the truth is, is I remember even being a kid, you know, going up and getting in the car with uh, mum and, and, and dad and my two brothers, and we'd take these long trips. And you know what? I've got to tell you, like, when, you, when you're on your way to somewhere exciting... It always takes forever to get there. It always does. And it feels like you're never going to get there. And I remember saying, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Mom and dad say, no, we'll, we'll tell you when we get there. They say that stuff to, to us all the time. The trip on the way back home, um, after you've got there, after you've been there, you're going home, you seem to get there a lot quicker. But on the way there, it seems to take forever. Just like that with God. Whenever he promises something about your life, how many of us know it just seems to take forever to get there? I know that I'm not the only person in this room today who's felt like God would benefit from using a diary or a wristwatch or something like that. I'm like, God, you know, I know that you know all things, but it, you know, my life may have slipped your attention. You know, I know that you numbered the hairs of my head, but did you happen to consider that your timing is too late? You know, it just feels like God is not on the same page with me. And, you know, whenever it feels like that, you want to get God in on what you're doing. Last week, I began a message just for two parts. You know, the first one was, um, you know, it's both on interpreting the message. But last week, a couple of things that we realized is that it's easy to take things into our own hands when we feel like God is taking too long. How many of us have felt like God has taken too long at some point in our life? Some of you got your hands down and you're lying right now. I know that you're lying right now because everybody at some point has gone, God, I actually need this answer right now. And uh, you thought I wouldn't call you. I called you out because uh, the truth is, I think there's a place in our life where we always go, God, you know, I just wish that you'd hurry up with this. And, uh, you know, whatever God has begun in the Spirit, if He's begun to author something over your life, if He's spoken it out in the Spirit, I want to tell you it's going to end in your victory provided you leave it in His hands. But the truth is, is that often we can get in the way of what God is trying to do. We become our biggest obstacle, you know, and it's so easy to want to look at circumstances and situations and people. But how many of us understand that circumstances and situations and people are no problem for God? So it's really hard to blame all those things when He's sovereign. He's able to remove all the obstacles and do everything that we need Him to do in our lives. So you've got to leave some things in God's hands if you want Him to give you that victory that He authored in the Spirit. Are you with me so far? Awesome. I'm going to read to you today from Genesis as we start this next part of this message. And uh, this is Genesis uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. This is what it says. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abram, sorry, in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, 
what will you give me? For I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man, being Eliza, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, being Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, God counted it righteous that he spoke to Abram and Abram believed him. Let me just tell you this from the, from the outset. God loves seeing your faith. Oh, he loves seeing your faith. Oh, God just loves it. When he says something to you and you believe him. I think a lot of people think that when they do good works, it really pleases him. But you know, I come to think about it, I don't know if I've ever read that. I've read that it's obedience. He desires obedience and so forth. But you know what it says really pleases him? It pleases him is our faith. When you believe God, he loves it. Because it says something about your trust in him. And for a guy who sent his son to die upon the cross, I mean, I just kind of think if he was willing to sacrifice his only son to come through and come good on a promise that he made, well, I think he's almost willing to do anything. And when we say to him, you know what, God? I just believe you. When he hears that, oh man, he loves it. How many of us really just want to please God? How many of us want to just make him proud of us? You always want to make your father proud. And if you're a child of God, the best way to make your father proud is to believe him. Do you know that in Hebrews and Romans and Galatians, it says the same thing every time. It recounts the story we just read. And it says this in those scriptures. It says, and he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It mentions it so many times and sort of sets this guy up to be the man of faith. Abraham was the man of faith. He was the man who was God's friend. He was the man who believed him. But, oh man, can I tell you that even though those books of the Bible, they talk about Abram, Abram being this great man of faith and he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Man, he made some mistakes and misinterpreted the message along the way to eventually, actually, in the end, ultimately believing. Like how many of us understand that, you know, it says he believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so you would be inclined to think that that's just the way that the man lived. But he didn't. Oh no, I... Oh, he made plenty of mistakes along the way. He actually really misinterpreted some things along the way. See, whenever you're making a big transition in life, whatever that transition will be, what, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe a job. Maybe you're thinking about getting married. You know, maybe you're thinking about changing industries or careers. Maybe you're thinking about going into retirement. I don't know what it is. What is the next big step in your life? But the truth is, whenever you make a big transition in life, you want to know that you've heard from God. And when you make big transitions, when you hear from God, you need something in your life to help you navigate that next season to carry you over. It's called faith. And faith, by the way, comes from? Hearing. Right. 
Faith comes by hearing. We've got to hear God and listen to Him. And Let me give you a good example of where this happened in my life. I met my wife and I wanted to get married to her. Maybe, I don't know, I'm sort of working through the issue. I know she wanted to get married. She already had, she basically booked in the venue while we're still dating. She was convinced and uh, I was having some trouble getting across the line making that decision. So I said this thing to God, I put out a fleece. You ever do that? If you do this, then I will. So, so I say, God, if you bring seven to people to me in seven days that say to me that I'm supposed to marry Sarah, then I will go ahead and propose and marry and do that very thing. Of course, at this stage, not a lot of people have come to me and said to me that I should marry Sarah. So I knew that if I asked for seven people in seven days, that would be a pretty significant thing to happen. So I prayed this on the Saturday and I went to church the next day and uh, two people came to me and they said, don't you think it's time that you, that you married Sarah? I thought that's a little unusual. It was only two. I still got six days to go. So I took note of it, but we went home from church that night and decided to have a family dinner. We're sitting down at the table and everyone turned on me including Sarah. And they said, they said to me, so when are you going to marry Sarah anyway? And I'm looking around the room and I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. Great. There you go. I say great, but you know, to be honest, I was actually really excited. But I just, in one day, seven people came and spoke to me. Now the thing is, is I'm sure I could sort of argue ahead and say, oh, but this was all at one time. I don't know if that really counts. It's like, you know, whenever you ask God for something and he gives it to you and you're still not really sure, you keep pushing him. Sometimes you just got to say, all right, you said it, you know? And so God got my attention and he said it to me. And then after that, I went out and, and I, I bought the ring, which by the way, was the most bizarre experience. I remember just trying to get comfortable with the decision. Sometimes even after God's says something to us, you get comfortable with the decision. I was at, a, at the jewelry shop and looking at engagement rings and this lady came up to me and I'm still trying to get comfortable with this thing in my heart, you know, because I'm making a lifelong decision. And so she says, can, can, I'm looking in the display cabinet and the lady comes up, she says, can I help you? I'm like, help me? No, why could you help me? I'm, the, I'm a, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm on my own. No, don't, don't need some help here, I'm, I'm gone. I walked out of the jewelry store. I, how many of us know that even after God says something, sometimes you're still trying to get comfortable with the thing that he said to you. Do you know why? Because the truth is, we just want to know, we just want to make sure, I just want to be clear in my heart that I'm on the right path. How many of us just want to know that we're on the right path? It's different for everyone. It looks different for everyone. Psalm 119 verse 105. You know what it says? It says that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And all I'm asking for is daylight. Why couldn't it say His Word is a spotlight that sees well into the distance that will make me absolutely certain of the decisions that I make in life? But that's not what it says. It says His Word is a lamp. So often in life, you know, we're going through life and we've got a lamp and I can see a little bit in front of me, but I actually can't see the whole way. I remember one day I was running around the block and God said to me very clearly, He said, 
you know, I'll never tell you where you have to end because if I told you there, you'd try to, you'd try to shortcut the journey and the process. But, you know, because when you go for a run, I leave my home, yeah? And where do I end up? Back at my home. So what's the point? The point is the journey and I'm getting fit in the process. And God uses paths and journeys and process in life to get you fit for whatever your future is. I think that if he came along to some of you guys and said to you, this is where you're going to end up, you'd be like me. You'd try to shortcut the process. You'd try to go immediately there. But you've got to know something. God uses the journey to get you fit for whatever is ahead of you. His word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a lamp. It's not a spotlight and it's not daylight. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find like hearing from God, it's almost like looking through a keyhole. And you're trying to spy out your future, but you can't quite see it clearly. And there's so much in that next room that you can't see. It's like you just want to open the door, but right now all you're doing is just looking through the keyhole. What you touch to do sometimes is fill in the room with your imagination. Well, this is what it might look like. Well, I can't see the whole room. I can see like just a little bit in there, but I'm, I'm hearing you, right? Like this is the right direction, but I can't see the whole thing. I, I'm just trying to start to piece together what the room might look like with my imagination. Let me read a scripture to you that came right after the one that we just read. It says, And Sarai, who was Abram's wife, said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord is prevented me from bearing children. Gee, isn't that funny? He was, uh, was going to give her children. Now he's actually preventing her from having children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And what did Abram do? The man of righteousness, the man of faith, the man that was never deterred. He listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived how many years? 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Here's Sarai trying to understand what God said to Abram. See, sometimes God comes and he says things to you, but then he makes you wait for it. I told you he doesn't operate on your time. And he makes her wait. How long did Abram wait? 10 years. Imagine God coming to you and saying, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars are in the sky. But then for 10 years, what, you kidding me? You can't have one child? You'd sort of be looking at God and saying, listen, you know, I've done the math. And uh, in order for this to really get going, uh, I'm going to need at least one child. And you see what happens is sometimes God says stuff to us. and We're trying to figure it out. And what did we say last week is that we tend to, when God's not moving in our time, we tend to take that situation into our own hands. We try to author something in our flesh that God has actually authored in the Spirit when we just can't wait. When the Spirit promises something and He makes you wait and you start to apply and pressure to yourself by your expectations or maybe it's not the right timing, whatever it is, you can begin to author something that God's not trying to author. Galatians 6.5 says that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah, after he flopped around like a fish, trying to figure out what the will of God was. You know, it's like he believed God. Yeah, that's right. After he slept with Hagar. 
Well, it doesn't see that in the New Testament, does it? Yeah, he believed God. We're told again in three different books of the Bible, he believed God, credit to him as righteousness. Yeah, but on the way to believing God, he went through all kinds of struggles and he had to wait for 10 years for the promise to actually come to pass. Flopping around while he's waiting for God to work it out. And in the end, Abram actually ends up getting talked out of the promise. He gets talked out of it. Just take, just, just take my servant, his wife says to him. Take her. See, time tempts you to reinterpret the message, doesn't it? You ever had that? Time will tempt you to reinterpret what you think you heard. Well, I, I thought you said that to me. But, but now you're making me wait. And I feel like maybe I didn't hear right. You're making me wait. Now I think maybe I... Maybe I need to think about how I can bring this whole thing together, God. You seem to be a little incapable of doing it. Hey, listen, if you do that, I want to tell you that you'll settle for less than what God has for you. But here is the saddest part. You'll never know. You may never know. Because when you try to settle for less and you get in the way of what God's trying to do in your life and you think that that was the promise, you'll never know what he might have done. Wouldn't it be such a sad thing to sort of end up living this life where you never really get to realize what God was wanting to do? Let me tell you this, guys. This is important. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less than what God has promised to you. Sometimes in your life, and this will probably happen to you, well-meaning people are going to come along and they're going to try, because they love you, to talk you out of what God has said over your life. And they absolutely have the best intentions. I I believe that Sarah, Abram's wife, she loved him. And yet she ends up trying to talk him out of what God was wanting to do. Some of you will know the story. Some of you will not. I remember um, right before I was due to take over Activate Church from the previous pastor, someone had approached our church and said, why don't we take over your church and bring both churches together and merge them? And at this point, I was really clear that God had called me to go ahead and to take over as the senior pastor with Sarah. And then right at the last minute, this thing happens. And I'm speaking to Corey and and he says, well, you've got to go and meet this pastor and speak to him. I said, okay. So at the end of the day, to cut a long story short, I sat down with this pastor and he very presumptuously said to me, this is going to be really hard for you to go through the process. I said, listen, mate, I said, we're not going through any process. I'm here today to listen to what you have to say. We're, we're listening to see if God is in this. Spent some time with him, walked away, absolutely convinced that the man had not heard from God and that he was simply just going off his own logic. He thought that that might work, might be an idea that might work well. Spoke to Pastor Corey, who was my pastor at the time, and, and uh, called him up. He said, so what did you think about it? I said, this guy, I just don't think he's heard from God. The truth is, I think that God's called me to do this. I absolutely believe it. And uh, I just think we need to move forwards in this direction. Now, the guy might have had a great offer or lots of different ideas, but at the end of the day, can I be interested? Uh, To be honest, I'm not interested in other people's ideas when God has said something to me. And when God has said something to you, don't settle for less than whatever God wants to do in your life. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for the ideas that someone's got. 
Don't settle for the opinions of other people. If you've heard from God and you know He said it, then you've got to carry some kind of conviction in your heart and in your spirit that that's where you've, what you've got to do and that's where you've got to go. You see, the problem with this story is that Sarah, she never really, she never heard from God, did she? So the person that never heard from God comes to Abram and says, maybe this is what God actually meant. And she misinterprets the message. She misinterprets it. And in the end, Abram actually believes her. There are all kinds of things that will cause you to misinterpret what God is wanting to say to you. I'm going to give you three. It's probably loads. I'm just going to give you three. Here's the first one. Stress that's caused by fear. When you're stressed out, because things aren't happening in the time frame that you need them to happen in. When you're stressed out and your stress is a result of your fear, what tends to happen is people begin to focus on the problem. Have you ever become so worried about anything that you just start thinking about the problem? If you take time in your life, say 24 hours in a day, and you, know, you start to allocate the hours of time that you dedicate to thinking towards your problem, if you think about your problem all day, you're really not leaving a lot of room for God to enter into your life, are you? If you spend all your life you know, spending that time focusing on the problem and not focusing on God, how many of us know God can fix every problem? I tell you, you are far better off being focused on God in the midst of your problem. May I even dare say, praising God in the middle of your situation rather than focusing on the problem. If I'm listening to the problem, the problem is only telling me what I already know. I know that. Listening to the problem is not helping me. But listening to my God could help me a whole heap if I take my focus off of the problem and I put my attention onto my father, suddenly everything that I was worried about suddenly takes priority to whatever it is that he says. Man, you want to listen to God, focus on God. Don't focus on the problem. That's the first one. The second cause or a cause of misinterpretation is insecurity. Oh man, when you see somebody that gets so insecure about what God wants to do in their life, it causes them to just miss the whole thing. Well, they, they, they're so insecure about who they are, they don't possibly imagine that God can do... Oh guys, come on. Listen, listen here, okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Our God specializes in taking anyone, the lowest of the low, and bringing them all the way up. I'm telling you, I've got to be honest. If you put your life in God's hands, that is hands down the best decision you will ever make. And can I tell you something else? Don't rest on your own confidence because it's not always going to be there to support you. Do you know the confidence you need? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from God. Let the Lord be your confidence. I tell you, there are times in my life where if I just leaned on my own confidence, I would have been a nervous wreck. There are times in my life that if I leaned on my own confidence, I would have said no to this opportunity and no to that opportunity. I'm not sure if I'm able. You know, I, I, I am singing, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders because the truth is, that's where I want to go. I want to go to a space I've never been and I know if I trust in myself, I'm not always going to get there. So you know what I do? I say, God, if you call me out, if you've called me out, then I guess there's some provision in that for me that when I get there, you're going to support me. Number three, opinions of other people. Opinions of other people. Do you know when anybody gives you their opinion or even their wisdom, oftentimes it's based on 
the accumulation of their previous experience. Yeah? Well, my opinion is, well, based on what I've seen, according to what I've heard, and they give you their opinion out of that. Here's the problem with that. If God wants to do something he's never done before, and they're drawing on all their previous experience, where's the room for God to do a new thing in your life? Where's, where's the room for God to do a new thing? And if you listen to God and, and you go after him, isn't it great to have the conversation afterwards where you speak to that same person and they say, well, I've never heard of God doing anything like that. And you say, I know. That's why I trusted him. That's why I leaned on him. That's why I put my confidence in him. That's why I didn't lean into the opinions of another person. That's why I actually just listened to what God has to say. There are all kinds of things that will prevent you from moving into the space that God's got for you. There are doors that will open in your life all the time. And depending on how you interpret the message that God gives you, depending on how you hear what God says to you, you may miss altogether the opportunities that God is beginning to open for you. You've got to act sometimes on doors of opportunity, but Abe, oh boy, did he make a bad mistake on opening or walking straight through a door of opportunity. You know, the opportunity was Hagar, you know, right here. Well, I can author my own promise right now. I can do it. I don't even need you, God. I could literally, right now, I can author my own promise. And here is the door of opportunity, which has been confirmed by the fact that my wife has come to me and she thinks it's a good idea too. And all the while, it's a door that Abe should have never walked through. It's a door he should never have gone into. Hey, let me read a scripture to you. Oh, this is such a good one for a door of opportunity that someone avoids in their life. Let me give you the rundown here. King Saul, king of Israel, is hunting down David, who will be the future king. He wants to kill him. He's hunting him. Here's what happens. 1 Samuel verse 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness in En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. He's going to the toilet. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. How unfortunate for them. And the men of David said to him, Listen in for the door of opportunity. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and, they, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. As soon as David kills Saul, he will become king. Here is a great opportunity for him to immediately take the situation into his own hands and not only save his own life in the process, but to become king and enter into the promise that was on his life. He had every opportunity to do it. Here Saul is. I don't like to picture it in too much detail, but I guess sitting on a rock or something, you know. 
and they're back in the cave and all he has to do is sneak up, get around him, kill him and he enters straight into it. And as he approaches, what a, what a window of opportunity of all the caves and all the lands. Saul relieves himself in that one. That has got to be by God. Come on, David's men are saying the same thing. They're like, come on, David, this has got to be God, right? Surely God has, uh, has presented us with an opportunity for you to take the kingdom right now. And as David gets close, he just cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And he keeps it. He keeps it because later on he says to Saul, you see, I could have killed you and I didn't. You know what? David had soft, such a soft heart towards God that when he got close, he heard the words of God say, don't touch my anointed. And the door of opportunity, had he have entered into and, and tried to author by his own merit into the promise that was on his life, I don't think things would have gone so well for David. But again, he just left it into God's hands. Man, I've got to tell you, there are some doors that you should just not open. Just don't presume that because there's a door and it's open that God put it in front of you. There are plenty of doors that will open in your life and God doesn't always put them in there. There are three people that will open doors into your life. God will open doors. You will open some doors and the enemy of your soul will open doors in your life as well. So how are you supposed to know which doors to walk through? Well, we kind of already said, you know, God's word is a lamp unto our feet. So I kind of figure one of the best ways we can figure out if we're walking into the right door is we can actually read the word of God. L listen to this for a second. If you're thinking, and I'm not sure it's, it's large enough room, I guess. If you're thinking about killing somebody, yeah, the Bible says you can't do that. If you read Exodus uh, chapter 13, it says it in the Ten Commandments there. If you've been thinking about killing someone, uh, yeah, don't do that. Uh, because the Bible says that you shouldn't do it. So if you ever get something in your mind that says this is a good idea, and you cross-reference that with what God says, you'll know that perhaps you shouldn't do that. You know, it's so funny. This, there is so much stuff in here. There's a lot of words in this book. And if you actually read this thing, and, and here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you read this book like it becomes so close to you that when God opens up a door, you don't have to go back and say, oh, does it say anything about this in here? Because you've read it so much, you know it so well, you'll know instinctively, oh, no, 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 no. I've seen this so many times and I know what the Word of God teaches about that. You know in the moment. You shouldn't have to go back necessarily and, and, and find it in here. You just keep reading. If you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, man, I've had so much trouble with my spouse. They just don't get me. They don't get me. They don't understand me. I, I think, I, I feel like maybe I've married the wrong person and I feel like God's encouraging me to make a decision here to maybe leave my spouse I've got to tell you, if you go back to the Word of God, it says, don't divorce your spouse. So, so, so guess what? Don't do it. If, if you're here today and you say, my spouse doesn't understand me, and God has put this beautiful woman in my life, or this beautiful man in my life, and they just understand me, they get me. I, I, I mean, I feel like they're the person I'm supposed to be with, you know? And I feel like, you know, God would be okay with this. Newsflash. He is not. He will never say anything 
that will contradict His Word. So if you're thinking about killing someone, if you're thinking about having an affair, if you're thinking about getting divorced, I got some great advice from you. I got it from the Word of God. It says just don't do it. So if you're trying to understand which door you should walk through and which door you shouldn't, here's a great place to start. Start with the Word of God and go from there. You know what? I was uh, Being up at the conference, here's something that Rick Warren said. He said, God's will is in His Word. Stop looking for a voice. Start looking for a verse. Stop trying to find out there in the spirit realm something to justify what your heart really wants to do. Because when you go back to the Word, it says don't do it. Newsflash! Don't do it. Is that okay? Okay, that's the first one. Number two, here's another, here's another way that will help you to kind of know if you should open a door or not. You can go to trusted people. Go to trusted people. Can I tell you something? I can go and find any opinion I want. And I know where to go to find the one I want. <laughs> I know when I want someone's support and an idea, I could probably go to that person and they'll give me support on that idea. If I want to go find someone that's really negative, I know exactly who to go to. I'll go to them and I'll ask them and they'll be negative about something. In fact, the truth is, after you've been around for a little while, you know exactly where to get what you want. But I'm not suggesting to you that you just go find what you want to confirm what's in your heart. I'm suggesting that you go and you find trusted people, people that, you know, maybe read the word. And you know, this is what the Bible says, Proverbs 27 verse 6, are faithful of the wounds of a friend. Faith, you need someone who will give you the real picture. Someone who will give you reality. Someone that's not going to tell you necessarily what you want to hear, but they'll tell you what you need to hear. And that could be anything. It could be a pastor. It could be a friend. It could be a mentor. It could be just some random on the plane. I'm flying home from uh, Sydney just two days ago. And this, this young girl, she comes sitting next to me. I say young girl, she's probably 21, 22 or something. And um, like me, like young guy like me. And um, so she sits next to me and I'm working on my sermon, um, you know, just touching up a few things and all the rest of it. And she sits next to me and she's got her earphones and she looks kind of miserable. Anyway, I, I, I'm saying, God, I'd love you to give me a word for this woman mainly because she's strapped into her seat. I know she can't go anywhere for the next 45 minutes. She's going to have to hear me out. So if you could give me something, that'd be great. And you know what the Lord said to me? Absolutely nothing. So I did something radical and I just said, hello. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? But I'm that kind of wild pastor that will say hello to people. That's how I roll. So, so I said, hello. She says, Hi. I said, uh, you on your way down to Melbourne? She says, yeah. So what are you doing down here? She said, oh, this sounds really weird, but I'm actually going to a convent. I said, you're going to a convent? I'm like, for prayer and st stuff. And she says, yes. I said, why are you going to a convent? She said, oh, she says, the truth is I've been trying to seek God's will over my life. This probably sounds crazy to you. Did you read my message? She says, uh, I'm trying to figure out God's plan for my life I don't know I feel like he said stuff to me and I don't know and I'm filled with anxiety and, and I'm worried that it's not going to come off I'm like did you read my message I didn't say that 
and, and she tells me all this stuff and I begin to just speak to her everything that I'm talking about with you guys today. I'm like, well, you know what it says in God's Word? I start giving her scriptures out of the Bible. You know, I said, this is what it says about this and this is what it says about that and you can trust and lean in on this. Man, I tell you, people, they want to know God's will for their life. And I tell you, sometimes the best help that you can be, honestly, you want to be a good friend to someone else, go read your Bible. Because when you give someone advice, it's one thing to give someone your opinion. It's another thing to give them God's opinion. That's a great idea. So anyway, that's number two. Number three, last thing, prayer. Uh, Prayer is really just talking to God. It's just about communicating with God. Go where you got it in in the first place. You know, God speaks to me. I don't know how God speaks to you, but God speaks to me in pictures. I see a picture and I write it down and I try to understand what God is saying to me in that picture. Sometimes I'll hear His voice, but sometimes, you know, I just see a picture. And, you know, whether I hear His voice or see a picture, my response is still the same. You know what I do? I write it down. You know why? Because I don't want enough time to get between me and that event for me to reinterpret what I think I might have heard. So I write it down straight away. First time I went back to church in a long time, standing there, I'm so convicted by the presence of God, bawling my eyes out, thinking I'm never going to come back to church again. This is terribly embarrassing. I can't believe it. Church is just weird. Probably still is in some ways, I guess, but this is what I'm thinking. And uh, I get in the car and I drive home. I, I, I haven't even given my life really to Jesus. I just had this encounter with God. And I said out loud to myself, I said, Don't ever forget, this was a day when God spoke to you. This is the day when God touched your life. Don't ever forget that. Because I knew that with enough time, I try to water my experience down to just feeling funny on the day. Man, you've got to write it down. Write it down so that later on in life, you don't get caused to reinterpret or misinterpret whatever it is that God actually wants to do in your life. You, when you get it, you hear it and you begin to trust God and you believe Him. I'm telling you, that trust and that faith, it puts you in the zone to have God open doors in your life. And I'm okay with, you know, that hope. I'm okay with believing and receiving as long as it's the Spirit who is authoring. As long as He's saying it, I'm okay with all of that. Man, sometimes we just got to let the Spirit finish what He's authored in the first place. Don't reinterpret it. Don't reinterpret it. Don't settle for less. Don't try to author something in your flesh. If God said it, it will happen. You just got to let God begin to outwork it in your life. Do you know the really sad part about the story that we read is that in the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 17, do you know what? God has this conversation with Abraham by that stage. And this is what he says to him. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to bless you. Even though you have gone ahead and settled for less, I'm, I'm still going to go ahead and bless you. I'm still going to author this. I'm still going to give you the promise. You know what Abraham's response is? Abraham says, oh Lord, would you let Ishmael be this promise? Let him, let him be the promise. Now Abraham's trying to sell the failed promise back to God. Let this be your promise you know what God says? God says, you have no idea. He says, I'm not settling for less. Don't try to take your what you've authored and sell it back to me and say, let this be the promise. No, don't you get it? Don't you get that when I want to do something in your life, I'm more committed to it than you are? Don't you get that when you're trying to settle for less, I'm always calling you forth so that you can have my best? 
Don't, you've got to understand that to be something to be true about God. I can't imagine how sad it would have been if Abraham would have settled for something less. See, when we believe God, when we believe God, He credits it to us as righteousness. Do you know what God does in that chapter, chapter 17? He actually gives Isaac his name before she's even fallen pregnant with the child, before the promise is even close to being delivered. He says, no, I've got something on the way for you. His name is Isaac. And when God said, Isaac, how many of us know at that very moment, that promise was just as secure then as if that child was alive and breathing and right there. How many of us understand that God stands in our future and He sees everything that He's got for us and He knows what's in it? See, I think sometimes we must think that God forgot. We must think that God has maybe no idea, but God actually is in our future. And it is just as secure there as it is right now. He calls the things that are not into existence. I know they don't exist right here. That's why you've got to have faith to believe that He's able to, to perform everything that He wants to go out and do. Let me finish with this scripture. This is out of Romans, Romans chapter 4. In verse 18. God says, or Paul wrote, I should say, in hope, he being Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Now listen to verse 19, based on everything that we've just heard. <laughs> he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And this is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. I love the way that the, Paul writes that. He makes no mention of the fact that Abraham messed up along the way. He makes no mention of that. In the New Testament, the way that it, the Bible writes it again, it's as if that never happened. Do you know why? Because I think that when we put our faith and our trust in God and we repent for our unfaithfulness and for settling for less, it, it's gone. It's as far as the East is from the West. God says, I know that you didn't trust me in the beginning. I know that you were ready for, to settle for less. I know that you would have given up. I realise all of that. And I don't even want to remember that because you came to a place in your life where you said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to put my hope in you. And then all of the unfaithfulness, all of that stuff is gone. And his faith, when he eventually believes his faith, it opens the door of promise in his life. Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.